If you would, please quickly take your Bibles this evening to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Sure, I've enjoyed the past two weeks of preachers preaching. Two weeks ago when he preached on the temple of prayer. The New Testament believers, the temple of God, and we are to be uh, houses of prayer. And uh, that was fantastic. And then this morning, I guess the title was, Let's Learn How to Pray. Because at one point you said that, let's learn how to pray. Uh, but mom says she th- thought that was the case too. So uh, it was very good this morning. And I, I, as you were reading that passage this morning, uh, there, there in Matthew, it stuck out to me. It said, be not as the hypocrites are, uh, for, they, uh, for they pray, or they, are, they love praying, is what it says. For they love praying. I thought to myself, it's convicting when hypocrites even love to pray. Now, they love to pray for the wrong reason, certainly. But how much do we love to pray? And I've really enjoyed these last two weeks as preacher's been preaching on that. I hope he'll continue to do that. Um, But uh, that's been a real blessing. And we've had some conversations back and forth about our desire for our church to be a church of prayer. And and, uh, frankly, we just don't think it's going to get there unless we engage in an active and fervent prayer. And uh, it's, it's, not, it's not for lack of effort at this point, but maybe it's for lack of prayer. And so uh, let's just be praying that the Lord will use us this year and in our church, uh, in our ministries, He'd be using us mightily. Second Timothy chapter 3 this evening, I just want to bring to you a sermon uh, entitled, Preach the Word. You know, with churches these days, uh, not re- much resembling churches... Uh, at least by the antiquated sense of that word, at least by the traditional sense of that word. You go into some churches, I saw a picture posted this week side by side of a rock concert venue and a church venue, and they looked identical. Um, and uh, in the, the, post, the post was simply the, just tell which one is the Christian one. Can you tell which one is the Christian one? And uh, certainly, I don't necessarily agree with making our music and uh, all of our pre-service stuff look and sound and be just like the world. Another thing that's happened as the modern Christian American church has uh, developed is there's been an emphasis on things that are not preaching. It's that everything in the world becomes promoted. Uh, If you spend any time doing any research or if you've ever been a part of any of these churches, you'll find that a few of the earmarks is they'll they'll promote uh, discipleship, which would we all agree, discipleship is biblical, by the way, and I I believe in discipleship. They'll promote that. Uh, They'll promote personal relationships within the church, and I think fellowship within the church is a good thing. Uh, They'll promote activities with fellow believers, and I believe that's a good and beneficial thing. Uh, Their services are structured so that uh, there's a lot of music, and uh, and that music varies greatly from church to church, but but really what you'll notice is there's uh, a lot of music and a lot of ministry opportunity, and there's a lot of stuff that you can be involved in, but what we've done is we have shrunk the preaching window exponentially, and it's just uh, an indictment on what we really believe is effective in the Christian life. It's an indictment that we value feeling worship as opposed to being actually a part of worship. 
And uh, so I want to bring you a sermon tonight called Preach the Word. Really, this study is going to be very simple. Why do we preach the way we do? Uh, I could almost take you to every sermon of mine, and I preach anywhere from about 45 to 58 minutes every week, okay? And you ask me how I know that specifically. Well, because I've been editing the sermons lately on YouTube, so I know. Preacher preaches right around the same, and I'm thankful that our church has about a 24 to 27 minute uh, song service. Brother Sean's actually trying to get that going. We tried to shrink that. We make fewer announcements. We try to really make that go. But the one thing that we've never done in our attempt to make our services shorter is that the preaching hour would suffer at all. It's because we believe in the power of preaching. We believe in the primacy of preaching. And so this study, this sermon tonight is simply kind of just saying, why do we preach? It was sad the other night as I sat here listening to preacher preach on real discipleship. I sat up here on the platform and I watched one of the leaders of our church be on their cell phone for the entire service. What do we believe about preaching? I'm not trying to convict you. You say, Brother Andrew, you ought to take care of that. I'm trying. The only way I know how. Because if God cannot change your heart to value what is truly important in worship, Brother Andrew is not going to do it. So this evening, why do we preach? Why is this moment in our service, the most important moment of our week, why do we preach? Well, I'll give you three, uh, a, a few reasons why I believe that preaching is very important. We'll start reading in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. We'll begin in verse 14. The Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. In verse 16, it's a very important verse, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I'll remind you that the verse designations and the chapter breaks in Scripture are not inspired. Now, all Scripture is inspired by God. But some other man assigned to the verses, they broke them up into categorical thoughts. And so you have verse 14 and 16, and it's easy to reference, right? What will we teach our children? Uh, How to say John chapter 3 verse 16, how would you teach them other than having a verse designation? You'd say, well, it's about midway down in the book of John and I'm going to start quoting it. And so we have verse designations, but they are not inspired. This would not have read as a separate chapter. Chapter 4 would have read as the next thought, the next paragraph. So after conveying the thought to Timothy, Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, therefore, before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. 
I want you to say the next three words with me out loud. Ready, go. Preach the word. Why, Timothy? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Why, Timothy? That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. Why? Timothy, the hour is getting more desperate by the hour. Timothy, preach the word. The Bible says, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Timothy, why do we need to preach? I'll, I'll tell you a few reasons why we see in verse number, uh, well, we'll see that we need to preach. Number one, because God chose to reveal himself through his word. Amen. You, you have to know that me and preacher didn't come up with this idea of preaching. Uh, I, I didn't figure this out, nor did preacher. It wasn't something that someone started a long time ago. God chose to reveal himself through the written word. In fact, in John chapter 1, the very first verse of that chapter says, In the beginning was the word. Why does it say that? God chose to reveal himself through the word. And while Jesus was the living word and is the living word... God chose to name His Son by the Word. It's unique. He could have called Him the song. The song we're singing. Isn't that what Brother Bates preached on? Jesus, our song. We could, he could have been known in the beginning was the song, or in the beginning was the poem, or in the beginning was the, a statement. No, no, no. In the beginning was the Word. Why? Because God chose to reveal Himself to all creation through the Word of God. And that's why our verse in chapter number 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration means God breathed. How many of you remember in the book of Genesis when God breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and gave him a soul? That's what separated him from all the other created beings. They didn't have that breath of life. Now, they had life, did they not? They did not have the breath of life. And that is the distinction between man and between beasts is that we are a living soul made in the image of Almighty God. And, and He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. In the Christian life, the breath of life is the Word of God. For all Scripture is God-breathed. And in order for a Christian to be what he needs to be for God, we must learn and know and apply God's Holy Word, for it is God's breath in the Christian life. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 tells us exactly how we got to ha how we came to have the word of God for this prophecy came not in old time by the will of men but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the holy spirit Amen. the holy spirit was the one that authored the book if anybody ever asked you who authored some of the harder books in the bible to remember this morning in Sunday school class, I asked the class, who authored the book of Revelation? And, and we actually came up with the answer, John. And I said, okay, can we remember the other books that he authored? And they said, well, he authored John. And I was like, very good. Can anybody remember another one? Well, he authored 1 John. Very, very good. What about the next one? 2 John. Very, very good. What about the next one? 3 John. So I have a very smart Sunday school class. And I'm very excited about, uh, uh, maybe I'll start asking them to teach. But... But some of the more difficult uh, books in the Bible to remember, like Hebrews. Maybe you don't know who wrote Hebrews. That makes two of us. But uh, if you don't know that one, just say the Holy Spirit wrote it. 
Because all of the men that wrote, sure, they wrote with their personality. They wrote from their perspective. But it was by the direction and the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, David said, the Holy Spirit was in my tongue. As he authored God's word, it was not his words, but the words of God. So one reason why God's word is important is because God chose to reveal himself that way. Number two, it's because God accomplishes his will through his word. Did you know that the Bible says that God's word will not return void, but it will accomplish what he wants it to accomplish. The thing that he wills it to accomplish, God's word will never fail at that. Even while Jesus was on this earth, his word accomplished great feats. You remember when he uh, stood up on the bow of that ship and the disciples were terrified and he stood there on that ship and he said, uh, uh, Peace! Be still. Have you ever wondered why he actually said the words? Can we all agree he didn't have to? But he did. Why? Because there's power in the word of God. Did you know that the world that we are currently in is upheld by the word of his power? Even when he called Lazarus from the grave, he said, Hey, Lazarus, come forth. Why? Because there's power in the word of Christ. There's power in the word of God. And his word will never return void, but it will always accomplish that which he wills. That's why 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says what it will accomplish. And his, will, or his word is a, a profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. That's why Hebrews says it like this. For the word of God is quick and powerful, Amen. sharper than any two-edged sword. Do you want to know why it says a two-edged sword there? Because it cuts both ways. And the handlers of the word ought to be careful so as not to cut themselves first. And you know what I've noticed in my life? Most of the time when I handle God's word, it cuts me before it cuts anybody else. Most of the time I get kicked by these sermons before the sermons do the kick into y'all. It's because it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It even goes places that we didn't even know existed. For our hearts are desperately and deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And that's why the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Because God's Word cuts deeper than even we know exists. That's what God's Word does. And it always accomplishes what God wills. So there's three reasons why God's word is important. Number one, because that's how God chose to reveal himself. Number two, because it always accomplishes what he wills. And number three, and this is very important for me and you, uh, you and I, however you want to say it, depends on how much education you have, I suppose. But God promises to bless those who will obey the word. That's why it's important. Now, we don't serve God because of future blessing. We serve Him because He has already blessed us. We love Him because He first loved us. And it wasn't by a love letter. It was by stretching Himself out wide on a cross and dying for our sins. And so we love Him because of that. But the Word of God promises that the man who will honor God's Word and obey God's Word, he will be blessed because of it. 
fact, even in Deuteronomy to the nation of Israel, God said, Behold, I set before you a curse and a blessing. If ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, a curse if ye, if ye obey not the commandments of the Lord your God. And so he says it's very simple. I will bless you if you will obey God's word, and I will curse you if you disobey God's word. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, neither shall, uh, and, what, uh, and whatsoever he do shall prosper. Why will it prosper? Because he, his meditation is in the law of God and he loves God's word. So why is it important to know God's word? Well, in order to do God's word, this may surprise you, you have to know it. I mean, it's not like when your wife tells you no, but she actually means yes. It's not like when you says, it doesn't really matter. And it does really matter. In order to do God's word, we must know God's Word. And so the three reasons why God's Word is important in our life is because that's how we know God. And that's how God accomplishes His will in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And it's because that's how we receive blessing. So the sole purpose of preaching is to effectively communicate God's Word. Can we all agree on that? Preaching's purpose is to communicate this Word of God that matters greatly. So that's why it's important that when you come, you come with some level of interest. I mean, I get it when the offering plays and we get all distracted and we talk to our neighbor. Uh, when, uh, when, you know, the songs are being sung and we're sitting down and we feel our phone vibrate and that's okay, you know, we want to glance to make sure, you know, Grandma hadn't died yet, whatever. But, but I don't understand how in this moment, when eternal truths of God's Word are being conveyed, the law of God it converts the soul. And it is by this Word of God that we are renewed day by day. I cannot understand for the life of me why Christians cannot value this book enough to put all of the stuff outside this building right where it belongs for just a moment. 47 minutes, I might add. If just a moment. And say, God, what do you want to do in my heart today? Preaching's ultimate goal is to effectively communicate God's Word. It's how we know God. It's how we know His will for our life. And it's how we receive blessing from Him. So I don't care the preacher that's preaching. You ought to pay attention. I don't care the sermon topic. You ought to pay attention. Because God has something for you in every sermon. Verse number 16 tells us what the Word of God does to the soul and And we find four primary activities of God's Word. Number one, God's Word is profitable for doctrine. That's what is right. For uh, for reproof, that is what is not right. And that is, uh, you see, uh, thirdly, for correction, that is how to get it right. And fourthly, you'll find uh, it says uh, for instruction in righteousness, and that is how to keep it right. And the ultimate goal of all of the Word of God is notice this, 
All four of these activities of God's word in our heart produces this. Here's the product. Verse number 17. That the man of God may be perfect. That's mature. That's fully developed. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about a band of Christians who, when the time came they should be teachers, they had need again that he would return and teach them just the fundamentals of Christianity. This is growing from desiring the sincere milk of the Word of God that you may grow thereby and developing our diet a little bit and and wanting some steak every now and again. This is growing, and that's what verse number 17 says, that we can have that and we can grow and we can develop and, and we can be renewed by day by day. We can become a mature Christian, but how do we do it? By God's Word in our life. And then in all of this, Paul tells Timothy, this is why God's word is so important. And Timothy, here is going to be the main focus of your ministry. I charge thee, verse number two, preach the word. The ultimate goal of preaching is to effectively communicate the word of God for the purpose of the maturation of the Christian. I don't know if you want to be a mature Christian. I don't know if you want to spiritually develop, but tonight the reason we're meeting, the reason that I took time to study this book and and know what I was going to talk about, the reason that I've got this on the screens and the reason why this moment is so important to me is because there are Christians in this room that want to be mature and there are Christians in this room that need to hear from their creator tonight. And, And that's why this is so important. You say, Brother Andrew, I don't need to do that. Oh, it's okay. Stop being a distraction to your neighbor because they might have had a real train wreck this week. Facebook is not important enough for you to distract the visitor that's sitting behind you that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. It's just not. God's Word is so important and it's through the preaching of God's Word that we grow and develop as Christians. We'll find in verse number 2 that preaching has three ways that it is to be administered. Now I will say this. My personal belief is that it is not the preacher's job to administer God's Word. My personal belief is preacher's word to preach God's Word. Have you ever noticed I don't beckon people in the invitation? Have you ever noticed after I say my prayer and I, I ask you to stand, I say the altars are open? It's because my belief is that my job is to proclaim God's word and to preach it biblically accurate and biblically sound so that there is no error in it. And by the way, I've made some error before. I remember when I was very, very young, I was preaching on this platform. I wasn't even in Bible college yet. I think I was still in high school and I preached that the Old Testament saints kept the law and got to heaven that way. That is very, very wrong. One time I said that the lions in Africa ate the gazelles and the gazebos. That doesn't even make sense. But preaching ought to be biblically accurate. And that is my goal with every sermon, is that I would rightly divide the Word of God, studying that I may uh, show forth that I am a, a, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Scriptures, and then presenting them to you. That's the goal. And then something that is so far outside of my realm of knowledge and study happens. Something that they never taught at West Coast then takes place. As the preacher preaches, the Holy Spirit of God begins to apply 
the message exactly the way you need it to be applied. It's amazing when you come to church and you hear a sermon on prayer and see somebody get saved. It's hilarious. You go to youth camp and there's like a a systematic plan each preacher has to preach through the week. Usually the first night he's kind of funny and he'll preach on something like attitude and he's kind of breaking them in. And then Tuesday night, man, that's the salvation night. And then Wednesday night, that's the service night. And then uh, uh, Thursday night, I mean, he's got this plan. And it's so funny to see how he'll get off the salvation night, which is generally Tuesday night, and people will still get saved on Thursday, and he said nothing about being saved. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God took that message out of his mouth and applied it directly to their heart and told them what needed to be said. It is the preacher's job to proclaim truth, and it is the Spirit of God's job to apply that truth. And preaching ought to be applied in these three ways, and I'll preach sermons uh, on these, in these various ways, in different times, depending on the situation. But number one, we'll find in verse number two, Paul's instruction to Timothy is, Timothy, here's how you to preach. Number one, reprove. Reprove, as you see on the screens, means to convict or bring to light or to expose. Now, this is a sermon nobody wants to hear. This is the one that's hard. Because this is when God, the Holy Spirit, says to you, you are a dirty, rotten scoundrel and you need to get right. Boy, I've been in those services before. And something I didn't even know I was doing wrong or something I very well knew I was doing wrong became exposed. I, I, I didn't feel guilty because I got caught. I felt guilty because God Almighty had told me I was in the wrong. And that's what this is. This is light being shined on the darkness that exists in your life. This is the psalmist saying, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Try me and see if if there's anything I need to get right with you. Why? Because every once in a while we need a reproving sermon. I'll never get to the point in my Christian life where I've outgrown the sermon that gets me to fall on my knees and plead for forgiveness before God. Timothy is instructed to reprove through preaching, to expose light on dark areas, to tell Christians when they aren't fervent enough and tell Christians when they aren't doing the right thing and tell Christians when they've got a little apathetic towards things and and there is some reproving that occurs in preaching. Number two, you'll notice in verse, verse two, he's not only to reprove, but he is to rebuke. Now this is to admonish sharply. Admonish means to urge to duty. And in many cases, it carries with it the idea that you are reminding folks of their duty. It's like the mom that walks by the room that she told you, you know, an hour ago to clean your room. And she walks by and she says, if this room is not clean in the next hour, I'm going to give you a spanking. You see, she is admonishing you. She already told you what the expectation was. Now she's reminding you, she's rebuking you that you would actually do what she asked you to do. Uh, Brother Sean says this sometimes in Sunday school teachers meeting and it sticks out to me because uh, at first it kind of came across kind of abrasive, but really he's just trying to rebuke. He'll say, and I challenge you to do this. I challenge you to do this. Well, that's exactly what reproving is. That's, That's exactly what rebuking is, is I challenge you. 
You know what preacher is doing on this prayer, on these prayer sermons? He's challenging us in the area of apathetic prayer. A prayer life that just isn't really what it needs to be for God. Now, he, he's, not, he's not reproving us. He's not saying, oh, this church don't pray for nobody. By the way, I don't think that's really a good way to preach anyway. But, but he's not trying to get in our face to tell us how dirty, rotten we are. What he's saying is our church needs to be a church of prayer. We need to grow and we need to develop and we need to commit. We need to be disciplined in prayer. We need to focus on prayer. We, he's, he's, re, re, he's, he's helping us. He's rebuking us. He's admonishing us that we would be a people of prayer. And then you'll notice finally the word exhort in verse number 2. And he was to exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. This word exhort means to speak to, which may be done in the spirit and way of exhortation, entreaty, comfort, and instruction. Why would you need patience in this area? Oh, because uh, sheep don't always want to go the way that the shepherd wants them to go. Sheep don't always do what, 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 what the shepherd thinks that they need to do. And so you, you patiently, oh, you don't, you don't pull out the staff and start beating them over the head with it. No, no, you, you, you patiently and with all long-suffering, you encourage them to go the right direction. If they don't want to go, you can't make them go, but there's an encouragement. And by the way, this sermon, these sermons sometimes when you've had a really bad week, or when you're going through a really hard trial in your life and a sermon of exhortation is preached and it encourages you and lifts you up and lets you know that you're not alone and that Christ is right in the center of your problem, those sermons are just as needed as the ones that tell you you're dirty, rotten sinner. No preacher ought to lean to any extreme. I personally believe that a balanced preacher will occasionally reprove, he will occasionally rebuke, and, and he will occasionally exhort with all long-suffering and with doctrine. And so we find God's Word and preaching are perfect companions to deliver God's will for the Christian's life. Now I'll say right here, you don't need Brother Andrew to help interpret God's Word for you. Amen. You don't. But preaching does something special as the Holy Spirit of God uses the man of God and takes the message of God to speak to the servant and child of God. And God accomplishes in your heart what needs to be done through preaching the Word of God. How many of you remember a sermon that spoke to you like few others have? You can recall the time and the place and the speaker when, when a preacher preached and it spoke to you. It cut you to the quick because you knew it was like everybody else in the room had disappeared and the preacher was only speaking to you. How many of you remember that? How many of you have ever had a sermon where you said, Preacher, get off my front porch. Somebody else needs some of this. And I've had those sermons. Here's what my goal is in the sermon tonight. It is to prepare us to come to church with the expectation that every sermon would be that for us. There's no reason that one sermon has to be the pinnacle of our Christianity. 
There's no reason that every sermon can't be, can't deliver some nugget that we really need. There's no reason why preaching cannot help us live this Christian life. So I want you to take your Bible to Acts chapter 13. We won't refer to it again until the very end of the, uh, very end of the sermon. But if we're going to come to church and we're going to have sermons that affect us and change us and mature us the way that God's plan is, we need to do three things, and we'll quickly run through these because we have a lot to do after service tonight. Number one, if we are to have these sermons that I'm talking about, these ones that change us and that we remember these, these altar monumental uh, memories of sermons in our life, number one, we must approach God's Word with a heart of expectation. Most people get exactly what they think they're going to get out of the sermon. Precisely nothing. We come in with the idea that the sermon probably is just going to be another one that Brother Andrew screams at us a little bit. Oh, preacher's probably going to do his thing and say, Hey man, I'm preacher. He's probably going to do something like that. And the, the mundane nature of preaching, the rep- repetition of preaching, we become lulled into this situation that we just say, uh, you know, is what it is. I'm not saying this to brag on preacher. I would never do that. But I will say, we, we hear him all the time, but did you know that there are pastors in this nation, I've heard them, there are churches in this nation that prefer to hear him over every other preacher in the world. The other night I sat with a lady in surgery. Her mother had just gone into surgery and she had flown in from Cincinnati, Ohio. And she says, hey, Brother Andrew, where's your dad at? And I said, well, he actually just flew up to Hillsboro, Ohio to preach, preach a message. A guy's having a sportsman banquet and preacher's going up there. And she goes, are you serious? I'm, he, he's normally down here. I'm normally up there. The time I come down here from my mom's surgery, he goes up there. I would have been in that building to hear him in a heartbeat. He's my favorite preacher in the world. Now, not every message, not every sermon can be a sugar stick. I get it. But oftentimes we just assume that the reason we're not getting out of preaching is because we're we're not getting anything because the preacher's not preaching like he used to. Oh, it's the preacher's fault. You know what? If your level of faith is so limited to think that God cannot use me and preacher to effectively communicate God's word then you have not read the story of Balaam. I do have one more degree than that donkey had. And I'm not saying that me and Preacher are just the world-renowned speakers. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying God can make His message effective in your heart in spite of us. And he can use even the smallest kid. Man, I'll go down and I'll watch our kids at these master club regionals. I'll watch them preach. And man, they're all nervous and they're shaking and they don't know what to do. And yet God still uses them. If God can use the donkey, he can probably use your preacher. It's not the preacher's fault. It's the fact that we come to church with a level of no expectation. We'll say God's probably not going to do anything today. He didn't do anything last week or the week before or the week before. 
Jesus teaches a, a, a lesson. He says, behold, the sower went forth to sow. And he mentions four types of soil there. He says some of the seed as was being sown, some fell on a rocky ground and others fa- fell in the thorns and thistles and others fell by the wayside and, and some fell on good ground because the sower sowed it there. And he, he gives us the reaction of all these soils to it. He says, well, the stony ground had no depth to it. The seed could not take root in the stone, and so when the sun came up, it just dried it all away and, 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 and didn't take root in it. In a, and, and then Jesus applies that and says, and in a moment of temptation, since there was no substance, there was no root, there was no depth, Jesus uses the word deepness, since there was no depth to the understanding and the application of Scripture, the sun took it away, the time of temptation made it wither. And then he says in the thorny ground, he says, what happens to that seed is the thorns and the thistles, they choke it out. And those thorns and thistles, they are likened to the cares of this world. The, 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 they that will be rich fall into all snares and temptations. And Jesus says, riches of this world and pleasures of this world. And so you have the thorns and the thistle ground. You have the ground by the wayside, which the birds come and they devour it. The birds fly down. And then Jesus says that the birds are a picture of Satan, how Satan can take a, a sermon that someone doesn't understand. They don't know what it is. And, and their lack of understanding, in their lack of understanding, the devil comes and manipulates it and steals it away so as it never takes root in their heart. But the good ground, That's the ground that the Word of God, by the way, which is the seed, Jesus is the sower, the seed is the Word of God. You know, you've heard this song, the Word of God, it's like itty bitty seeds scattered all around. Some of the roads, some of the weed. The Word of God is like itty bitty seeds. The Word of God is the seed there. And the Bible says that that good ground developed much fruit. You know what I've noticed about every good ground of every farmer I've ever seen? It's prepared. Amen. The only difference between the thorny ground and the good ground was somebody had taken the time to take the thorns out and to, and to plow that ground and to prepare it. Let me ask you, when is the last time you came to church with a prepared heart expecting to hear God speak to you? Today I was sitting right there in the second pew where my wife is and we were talking to Brother Kevin and Miss Kim. We we're just talking about the all-star game and uh, you know, Ethan's birthday party and all this stuff. And Bailey comes up to me. And Bailey is, can be at times the cutest thing you've ever seen. Now she has highs, extreme highs okay, of, of immense cuteness. But she also bottoms out farther than any child I've ever known too. So she's, she's the Mount Everest and Grand Canyon of children, okay? She goes up and down and she came to me and she said, Daddy, you asked Brother Kevin, you asked my wife, Daddy, can we go out to eat today? And I said, Well, how can I say no to that? (laughs) There's something about a dad that wants to do something for his children when they really want it. And I wonder if we've ever gone to dad and said, Dad, Father, I really need to hear from you today. And I've been reading my Bible. And I've been doing everything I know I need to do. But today, Father, I'm asking that you would speak to me. And up in heaven, the Father looks at us and says, well, how can I say no to that? 
We don't come to church with a level of expectation. We come to church thinking it's going to be every week. It's just a normal so-so. But if we came to church with a level of expectation, God might actually do something through the preaching. Not only that, but I'll notice secondly, if we're going to have God's word speak to us through the preaching, we must approach preaching with a, a humble surrender. It's one thing to hear God's word. It is, entirely, it is entirely another thing to be willing to submit to God's word. God cannot stand pride. And when we obstinately look at him and say, nope, not for me, he cannot handle that. In fact, in the, in the seven things that the Lord doth hate, or six things that the Lord doth hate, seven are abomination, the first thing on the list is a prideful look. He can't stand pride. You know why? Because pride is the greatest barrier between every Christian becoming what they should be for God. Pride is at the root of every sin. Pride is at the root of every time God tells us to do something and we say no. Pride is the obstacle we all battle. And that's why I believe the Bible says that God will give more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Matthew chapter 23 says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And yet all of us battle the enemy of pride. You say, not me, Brother Andrew. Gotcha. We all, we all battle it. And you say, well, I don't battle it so much. Okay, next time you figure out that your wife is right in your argument, I want you to tell her. Because that's what we do, right? We get in an argument. And I have even, I have argued from a losing position. Knowing full well, I just did not want to say, you know what, you're right. Many of you know that me and my wife, uh, my wife and I, however you say it, I don't know. Uh, many of you know that me and my wife, we, we don't Google things anymore. And I would like to tell you, that the reason is because it's healthy for our marriage to just be able to resolve issues without having to, uh, 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 you know, prove one another right. No, the reality is on the very rare occasion that I'm wrong, it pained me to no end to say, you know what, babe, you were right. Because we don't like to be wrong. None of us like to be wrong. And yet what God says to us sometimes through preaching is, you know what, you're wrong. Amen. You're not a prayer like you ought to be a prayer. You're not giving like you ought to be. You're not serving like you ought to be. You're not living like you ought to be. You are wrong. And here's the reason preaching is not effective for most of us. Not me. Yeah. Somebody else. I heard of somebody the other day that is so much worse than I do. I am. Not me. Sermons and preaching and the word of God can only be effective in the heart of a submissive Christian. You cannot receive anything with a closed fist. God just looks down and he says he wants us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's what God wants us to do. For any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding himself, his, his, beholding his natural face in a glass. For behold, he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, 
This man shall be blessed in his deed. The reason we need to have this, the ways that we can get these, these mountaintop sermons, we'll call them, is number one, we must approach preaching with a heart of expectation. We must approach preaching with a humble surrender. And then finally, we must approach preaching with a hope of worship. See, this is what modern churches have all wrong. In their endeavor to create a worshipful environment, they have done nothing but create an emotional environment. And all emotion cannot be the bedrock of our worship. It cannot be the foundation. You know what the foundation of all worship ought to be truly? Knowledge. Not like, I have not, not that kind of knowledge. But knowledge promotes in ourself a sense of humility and adoration. I'll give you an example. As you see how high and lifted up God is, you want to worship Him because your knowledge of Him just grew. And you worship Him because of how high He is and how low you are. That, that's it. Our worship ought to be the Word of God springing up into our hearts. And by the way, faith and knowledge only come from the Word of God. It doesn't come from lyrics of songs. And by the way, a lot of songs use lyrics uh, or scriptural lyrics, and that's good. And I have been in uh, services, man, when them Rochester kids got to singing blessed or whatever that song is, man, that's painful. I don't even like to hear it. When they start preach, when they start singing, and did I mention, man, I just try to leave the room because I'm going to bawl like a little child. I mean, I don't want no part of that. And I've been in a service where that promoted me to worship God, but that cannot be the bedrock foundation of all worship. It must be through the illumination of Scripture in the heart and mind of a Christian. Preaching pushes us to a decision point and leaves us there. You see, because the preacher can't make the decision for you. Preaching ought to push you. Preaching ought to take you right to the precipice of where you have to decide, will I follow God in faith or reject Him in pride? And it leaves you there where only you can make the decision. Preaching ought to speak to our hearts about how good our God is. And I'll have people come up to me from time to time and they'll say, Brother Andrew, I just love your stories. And I do. I tell stories to keep people engaged. I tell stories to lighten the mood sometimes. Uh, I try to make them applicable and I try to make them illustrative of what I'm trying to talk about. Several years ago, we were at Pensacola Christian College. We went to youth camp there and Jeff Redland was preaching. Many of the teenagers probably that are here tonight were at that camp. And uh, he preached a sermon, couldn't tell you what the sermon was about, other than I know it had Krispy Kreme donuts involved throughout it. How many of you have heard Teenager Night and you remember that sermon? Raise your hand. The Krispy Kreme sermon, okay? Okay, we have like eight teenagers here tonight that remember that. Nobody remembers what the sermon was about. All we remember was a Krispy Kreme donut. Because for 30 minutes that guy talked about Krispy Kreme donuts. By the end of it, we're all on a sugar high and we ain't even come close to a Krispy Kreme donut. I remember a sermon Kenny Baldwin preached, which he's a great preacher, so is Jeff Redland. But, I mean, he was preaching, and uh, he started talking about how to make a steak. 
And for 20 minutes, he's teaching us how to make a steak. And he tells us, oh, I sear it. I put it in the uh, oven. He tells us the exact temperature and time and perfect medium rare. I mean, and I don't remember the sermon at all, but I do remember that illustration. And, and by the way, illustrations are good. And while I don't remember the sermon Brother Redland preached, I do remember the concept he was trying to convey. He said there is a difference between knowing how good Krispy Kreme is and there is a difference between desiring to have Krispy Kreme and there is a difference between getting in your car and going to get Krispy Kreme. You see, you can know and you can want it all day long, but until you actually take the step to engage God where He wants you to be engaged, that's where it ends. Until you actually take the step and say, God, if this is what you want me to do, I will be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. I want to read this to you. This is a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Preaching and teaching are different in this sense. Teaching engages your mind. Teaching's purpose is to help you learn. And that's what I think the primary uh, goal of the Sunday school classes are. Let's, let's get in God's word. Let's learn. Let's address difficult questions and let's, let's answer them biblically because we ought not be elementary Christians in a Christian life after we've been saved, like preacher was saying in kindergarten prayer life. We ought not have that. We ought to grow and develop. And so Sunday school, we teach. But the difference between teaching and preaching is teaching engages the, the mind. Preaching engages the heart through the mind. See, preaching drives to a decision. Preaching ought not just leave everybody on a cliff. Preaching ought to say, hey, what's the decision you're going to make? What is it that God wants you to do? Jonathan Edwards speaks to that here. Jonathan Edwards says, God glorifies himself towards the creatures also in two ways. By appearing to them, being manifested to their understanding. That's what you can know about God. In communicating himself to their hearts and in their rejoicing and delighting in and enjoying the manifestation which he makes of himself. God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. Do you understand what what he's saying? It's not enough only to see God high and lifted up until you take the next step and actually Thank God on the basis of Him being high and lifted up. It's one thing to understand how holy God is, but it is altogether a different thing to appreciate God on the basis of His holiness. He goes on to say, When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and the heart. See, teaching engages the knowledge aspect of your Christian life. Preaching engages the understanding side. To know God, to understand Him, and preaching pushes you to a decision. Preaching pushes you to the point where you can appreciate God for who He is. It's Isaiah seeing the Lord high and lifted up. And that's a great experience for Isaiah. But what really mattered to Isaiah was when God asked the question, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah said, Because I've seen you high and lifted up, here am I, Lord, send me. It's 
It's one thing to have acumen. It's another thing altogether to have activity. A lot of us know more about the Bible than we need to. I was speaking to a missionary the other day, and they said that the average Christian in the American church knows more than the pastors that he is that he's handing churches to. Knows more than the pastors he's handing churches to. Do you ever think that we are so full of knowledge that we don't actually have time to appreciate the knowledge? Amen. Some of us have been in church for 30 years. We've got all this knowledge and understanding, and, and the time's come for you to actually work out your own salvation and act out on that knowledge that you've gained, and that is what worship is. It is taking the step to actually follow and obey God, sometimes in surrender and sometimes in service. I told you earlier to take your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, and I want to show you really quickly a group of people who did all three of the things I've mentioned this evening. They they approached preaching with a hope of worship. They, they also, they approached preaching with a heart of expectation. They approached preaching with a humble surrender. And I want you to notice what happens to them. In, verse number thir- uh, in chapter number 13, verse 15, the Bible tells us that Paul comes to Antioch and he sat down in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto him saying, Ye men and brethren... If ye have any word of exhortation, do y'all remember one of the ways that you can preach? Exhortation, you remember that? If you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. For the next 25 verses, Paul preaches. You say, Brother Andrew, I wish some of your, your sermons only lasted 25 verses. Well, I can't help that. Paul was just a more effective communicator than me. He did a lot more and a little less, you know. For the next 25 verses, he preaches to them. And I want you to see in verse 42 what happens. The Bible says, And when the Jews had gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. You say, Brother Andrew, you just aren't bringing very much new material to the the pulpit. They asked that he would bring the exact same sermon. They were content with the three points in the poem that he had given. They just said, we've never heard anything like this. Why don't you bring that next week? Because I'm sure God will do in our hearts again what he's already done this week. What is that? That's a level of expectation. They're begging him to come back and preach to them in the same manner that he preached to them before. Then go on, we'll see in verse number uh, uh, 43. Now the congregation was broken up. Many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came, and almost the whole city together came together to hear the word of God. Now, the whole city wasn't there the week before. Do you know what happened? All the Gentiles got together and like, you ain't never heard nothing like this. Oh, brother Paul, man, he waxed eloquent last week and he promised us that this week he's going to bring the same sermon. And I'm telling you what, you don't want to miss it. It was amazing last week. When's the last time you told somebody about how amazing, they're going to, how amazing the delivery of God's word is around here? We wonder why our friends aren't excited to come to church. We're not excited to come to church. The whole city comes the next week because all these Gentiles have been telling them about it all week. I mean, they have a tent revival. wasn't even scheduled. 
Bible says, but when the Jews saw the multitude, these are the people that are normally at the synagogue. I mean, these are the lifetime members. The Jews saw the multitudes. They were filled with envy. This is our church. We don't need Paul coming up in here and ripping our face. Spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthily of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest before salvation uh, unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, say those next three words with me. Ready, go. They were glad. You mean they already had one week of it. Now they got a second week of it. And Paul says, I'm coming back next week, baby. And they say, oh man, that's awesome. Just bring the same sermon. It's worked so far. They were glad. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all gladness and readiness and, and they searched the scriptures to see whether those things were so. There's a level of expectation. There's, there's a hope that God might prompt them to worship. There's an approach of humble surrender. All of these things exist. And because of that, they leave the service happy. Amen. Seems kind of radical, doesn't it? that we might actually leave church in a better mood than when we came? If we do this, and if we'll just have faith to think that God might be able to use His man and His word and His message to somehow speak to us today, is there really anyone better that you would like to hear from than your Savior? God wants to speak to you. Not only tonight, but every night God's word is open. Church, we've got to get more serious about preaching. We've got to get more serious about what can actually occur behind this wooden desk. We've got to get more serious about what God's Word might have for us to do.